Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 129 for the 7th of January, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here with my guest, Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Welcome back, Paul. Happy New Year. And a happy New Year to you. Hopefully uh, you had a good holiday break. I did not have a holiday break. I uh, chugged away on naked security with the luxury, I'll admit, of writing about a few seasonally interesting items. So although I was working, I had a lot of fun doing it. Well, that doesn't sound half bad. I guess there there was a, a few major stories in the last week or so that uh, we can cover today on, on the chat chat. We have OpenSSL's website was defaced uh, around the new year, and there were allegations of a hypervisor hack. Uh, is that just a bunch of uh, hype, or what's the story? Chester, it did turn out to be what you might call a load of hype. OpenSSL, perhaps ill-advisedly, used the word hypervisor in describing how this hack had come about. Uh, unfortunately, by using the word hypervisor, they invited all this speculation that it wasn't just that somebody got into the host operating system and was able to take charge of their virtual machine. The speculation went that there was some kind of hypervisor bug that had allowed a virtual machine escape and therefore, by implication, very many other servers might be at risk because this was a flaw in the virtual machine software. Now, I think the VM software was VMware. And VMware came out with a statement saying, hey guys, steady on. We don't think there's a, an actual exploitable hole in the hypervisor. So stand down from blue alert. Uh, and that turned out to be correct. Uh, it was, in fact, simply a poor choice of password and no two-factor authentication uh, on behalf of OpenSSL's hosting provider. This is a, a thing that's worth talking about, though. You know, okay, yeah, it was a bad password, and a lot of times stories kind of take on a life of their own. But if you are using a shared host, you are somewhat at the mercy of the security of the company providing that service, you know, whether that's Amazon or Rackspace or perhaps a neighborhood hosting provider that, that you've got a relationship with. You know, in the public space, there's a lot more that can go wrong than that. It's outside of your control, right? It's, it's not just vulnerabilities in software. It's human vulnerabilities. Yes, and I would say that the risk is significantly more than if you buy your own server and put it in someone else's rack and let them look after it. When you have a virtual machine, of course, the hosting provider needs to be able to connect to that server and then manage all the various VMs, which may be for completely different customers on the same server. So there, it's almost as though there are two ways in for the crooks. They can compromise your account and connect to your virtual machine, which is the same sort of risk you would have if you had your own physical server. And they can come in from the other side by connecting into the host and then acting as a manager of all the virtual machines that are on that particular host. And as a certain colleague of mine might have said, and I even wrote a little poem about this, uh, which goes as follows. And as a friend of mine might say, just where oh where's the 2FA? Because two-factor authentication would have made a big difference here, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's going to be a recurring theme, perhaps, uh, uh, on this particular podcast, because while it's not a foolproof solution to being hacked or being compromised or having people monkey with your stuff, it is a massive deterrent. 
And when implemented properly, which I guess will be another topic we could discuss, um, you know, really is an effective means of protecting things. And it's unfortunate for the OpenSSL team that that wasn't in place. Now, sometimes security failures in products and services actually do solely lie with where it seems they would, with the brand behind where the accident has happened. And in, in the case of Snapchat, this released, what, 4.6 million people's uh, telephone numbers and names uh, through some, uh, I don't know if I'd call it vulnerabilities, if it's more of a design weaknesses, perhaps, in their in their product that, that they have been warned about. But instead of apologizing, they kind of came out and with their own guns a-blazing, if you will, didn't they? Yes, I think so. I mean, how hard would it have been for them to say, look, we're sorry, perhaps we should have reacted a bit more promptly? Because to revisit the story, they have this Find Friends API, which lets you put in someone's name and phone number. And if there's a match in their database, it says, yes, we do have somebody with that name and that phone number. And by the way, on Snapchat, their handle is XYZ. Uh, so it's quite a useful feature if you can only look up the occasional name and number. With correct rate limiting, it shouldn't really be a problem. You shouldn't be able to go through 10 million numbers, everything in an area code saying which one of these maps onto Chester Wisniewski. Unfortunately, Snapchat's API, loosely speaking, did let you do that. And when somebody pointed it out on Christmas Eve, uh, their response was, oh, yes, this is a theoretical vulnerability. And as John Layden on the register pointed out, using a word like that is kind of like a red rag to a bull. So although you can argue that the hackers, if you can call them that, should not have done what they did, and that seems to be Snapchat's major point, in a way they weren't really hacking. They just used an API which existed and retrieved information which Snapchat chose to publish my goodness, given that Snapchat already knew about this and claimed they had rate limiting in place, but it turned out they did not, in my opinion, they really ought to have said sorry and give us some evidence that shows that when they fix it for the second time, they're going to fix it right. Well, I think uh, what was interesting to me was that the primary defense against this attack apparently was the terms of service, if you read into their statement you know, it's a breach of the terms of service to do this. And so how could it possibly have happened? And that is just one of the most astounding things I've ever heard. They had regulated, it seems, entirely by saying to people, thou shalt not be naughty with this, which uh, is a technique that is not known to work very well on the internet. No, not definitely not. And I guess some more sort of bad news that I was hoping we wouldn't have to talk about again so quickly after the last time. Uh, you know, we a few weeks ago we talked about D-Link routers uh, having a, uh, by, a security bypass by manipulating the browser agent string, the user agent string. And now we've got another probably even larger impact uh, vulnerability in routers again, this time with a, a company called Sircom, although... I guess most of our listeners probably wouldn't recognize that brand name. They they primarily make OEM devices for companies like Belkin, Linksys, and Netgear. Now, is this one something that I can access by driving down the road with a strong Wi-Fi card, or what's it going to take to hack the router? Well, unlike the D-Link one, which you can do directly from a browser because it deals with how authentication is done when you connect via HTTPI to the official web interface, this one is 
rather different because it's it's a sort of it's a backdoor all on its own. A chap who'd locked himself out of his router decided it would be in France decided it would be a nice vacational project to see if there was a way back in without doing a reset. He found a port that was open, 32764, so by a little bit of reverse engineering of the firmware, he discovered that actually this port, which has no authentication, you can actually just send it a magic code, like the code 1, for example, and it will respond by dumping its entire configuration in plain text, which includes all the passwords you might need. It has the wireless password, your ISP password and username, uh, and also the, the web interface uh, username and password. So I guess for folks that might be concerned that their router may have this flaw, if they want to check, I think the, the easiest way really is just to either uh, telnet to that IP on 32764 or use netcat to connect to that port. And uh, there is a list online as well. So if you look at the Naked Security post that you wrote, uh, if you go to Naked Security and search on CIRCOM, uh, you'll see that article and there's a link to the list of known affected devices as well. Yes, he's got uh, devices that are known to be affected, devices that are known not to be affected, and devices where no one's quite yet sure. And you'd need to look for a firmware upgrade or perhaps consider shifting to one of the open source Linux-based firmwares like DDWRT or OpenWRT instead. I guess the good news, the silver lining, if you like, and we always do like to find those on the chat chat, is that this port 32764 is not open by default on the outside interface. So somebody would have to have connected to your network by plugging in or by knowing your Wi-Fi password in advance. Uh, they can't just drive past and probe your router from outside. And the other silver lining is that because this is not an HTTP request, it's a proprietary sort of secret protocol, you can't get somebody from inside the network to visit a web page that has a local URL that simply by clicking it would trigger this bug, to the best of my knowledge. Right. And, and, and I guess another alternative uh, to uh, DDWRT or OpenWRT, which uh, I, I've taken advantage of myself, is download the free Sophos UTM and you can kind of roll your own router and you get some free antivirus some web filtering and other things. If you have a spare computer, like an old laptop at home, it's a great way to go, particularly if you, you know, you've got kids you want to protect online or you live in a shared house, not least because you also get 12 free Sophos antivirus for Windows licenses, which you manage from the UTM, which means you can actually have people in your house running Sophos antivirus and you can manage it centrally for them if they don't want to look after it themselves. And uh, all you have to give us is your email address so we can mail you the license code. There was another, uh, one more security fail, I guess, over the New Year's holiday, which was um, Skype. Unfortunately, they had their Facebook, their Twitter, and their WordPress accounts compromised by the group calling themselves the Syrian Electronic Army. The reality is their account was compromised and had some uh, anti-NSA messaging posted on Twitter for their 3 million followers and on Facebook for their 27 million people that uh, are associated with them on Facebook, plus their WordPress blog as well. What happened? Where, did the, where was the two-factor? The point is, uh, I'm, I'm a little shocked uh, that in the 21st century of 2014, no less, uh, that we have major media brands like Skype uh, that hasn't taken the care to protect their accounts. I mean, 
is the is the awkwardness of two factor really a legitimate excuse? If this had only been Twitter, I might have said yes because you would have to admit that Twitter for corporate accounts where you have several different people and you want them all to log in separately as far as I can see is a little clumsier than uh, Facebook or WordPress where you can have the multiple accounts and each person authenticating individually but it wasn't just Twitter as he said it was what Twitter Facebook and WordPress the fact that they had no 2FA on any of those does suggest that the marketing team behind this social media presence for Microsoft for Skype have decided it is too hard and that's a real pity because you could say they dodged a bullet here couldn't you if tweets had gone out which had links to malware or facebook likes to bogus adverts and stuff like that then there could have been real financial consequences for people who got sucked in because this is a trusted brand inviting them to do something dodgy i suspect in this case 2fa would completely have saved the day because the crooks might have got the password, but they wouldn't have got that one-time code, and none of this would have happened. Yeah, I, I think my reaction was absolutely similar, and that it was really just disappointment. Uh, you know, it, you know, you know that the options are out there, and in and, and yes, I find for my own purposes that on accounts where I have two FA enabled, the extra overhead of using it is very, very modest compared to the extra safety and security that I feel I have gained. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Now, we we also had on the good on a good news front, we had a pretty cool puzzle that you put together on Naked Security for New Year's Eve for uh, especially for those poor souls that had to be sitting at uh, management consoles over the holiday, uh, monitoring things in their companies while everybody else was sipping champagne and toasting to the new year. How many winners did we have? What what uh, what was the status? I saw lots of emails coming into the Naked Security email address uh, suggesting lots of interest in the puzzle. Yes, I think somewhere just north of 50 people solved it correctly in the time allowed. The first solution came in, I think, within two hours of the puzzle going live. So if you want to find out who won, if you got the puzzle right, or if you just want to see the answers because you had a go and got stuck, then uh, have a look on Naked Security. It'll be uh, coming up shortly. Well, I know Mrs. W enjoyed the puzzle, and... Uh... There was uh, a lot of creative responses I noticed. I, I wasn't able to read all of the emails of people that had solved it, but uh, I saw some people that had done some hash busting and wrote some Python to try to uh, to solve it using alternative methods to uh, to, to find solutions. So I, I, I appreciated the hackery creativity. Yes, uh, the crossword checker that we use has a very weak hash function in it. Next time, we will try and make it a little tougher, but still hackable. Thanks for that, Paul. And uh, that concludes Software Security Chat Chat 129. Uh, as always, all of our podcasts are available at soundcloud.com slash security. For the latest security news, you can go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure. I'm going to say that again. And until next time, stay secure. <laughs> I did it again. The harder you try, the worse it gets. And until next time, stay secure. I think he's got it.